0: morning everyone it's Grancha. I hope you're doing well this Sunday morning and I really hope that you are feeling refreshed after a couple of days of prayer and fasting this last week and that as we prayed and fasted that almost your heart enlarged your faith increased and that God expanded your vision for what he's wanting to do in the city that we live in I'm really trusting that God is going to make us the kind of church that lives to see renewal happen in Durban and to see his kingdom come and his will be done in Durban as it is in heaven I also really want to encourage you i know many of you are feeling drained tired discouraged at the moment i know many of you miss being together and just the reality of being able to be in person as the church I just want to encourage you at the moment how, how important, even though we can't be together, that being with Jesus, spending time in his presence, uh, making time to read the word in prayer is, how important our life groups are and staying connected to one another is. I, I think maybe even some of you should stop this video at the end, uh, respond to what God's saying to you, but send a text to one of your friends in your life group. Pray for them, call them up, uh, hang out with them over Zoom or whatever it is, but stay connected. And lastly, I wanna encourage you to keep connected with these Sunday Church at Home videos just so that you feel connected to what God is doing in Harbour City, even in this tough time when we can't be together. I know it's over a third of a year now already, which is absolutely crazy, but God is still at work. He's still on his throne. And I know that those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They'll rise up on wings like eagles. They'll run and not grow weary and walk and not grow faint. I think as we abide in his presence, he wants to energize and empower us and refresh us for what he is wanting us to do in this world. Now today is the final sermon in our in Durban as it is in heaven series. And last week was kind of the conclusion. Today is more like an appendix or afterward or epilogue to this series. Uh, and I think you'll understand that as we go through. But I want to start by saying I think there are many great reasons to celebrate being a South African and some of them have to do with the amazing words and phrases we have in this country. Maybe just give it a second to think about that for a second, some of your favourites, but I've put together a helpful list. We've got shoo, ach no man, but and brew, Yashisa, shame, ena, Aish, haibo, yebor, and laka. And I know that there's quite a few guys in North Park in San Diego who are part of Restored Uptown who've taken on the word kif and they use that all the time in their small group and with their mates. But I think one of my favorite South African words is the word frot. You know, you've really got to roll that R when you say it. And the word frot means exactly what it sounds like. It means gross or off or disgusting. Now, before I was a pastor and before we planted Harbor City, I used to run the coffee ministry at Red Point Church, our sending church. And kind of just like we would normally do back in the day on a Sunday outside with a coffee cart you know we made amazing cappuccinos and americanos and flat whites our coffee was tops but one Sunday I was making that delicious micro textured uh, silky milk uh, that you love in the coffee and I was making that at the back but I was just not winning I was getting watery sloppy gross hot milky white liquid And what I thought was, this is not okay, you know, this is not going to make a good coffee. So I thought, something must be wrong here, but I know it can't be the milk, you know, we buy fresh milk every Sunday, it must be something else. But I thought, let me just smell the milk anyway, let me just check. And I think you can all see where I'm going with this. Now, I don't want to be gross here, I think I've been a bit desensitized to gross things recently because I'm changing a lot of nappies. But you know that sulfuric acid smell, and you know that cat urine smell. This was like if you poured both of those things into a bottle and left them to go off. This was the worst thing i had ever smelt in my life. And I thought, how can this be? You know, we bought this milk from the shop this morning. How can it be this bad? But I looked at the best before date and this milk had been off for six months. Somehow this milk had been tucked at the back of the fridge behind other condiments and other things and had just never been picked up by anyone that this had been there for so long until that morning when I pulled it out to make coffee. Sadly, someone actually died. No, I'm joking. But that really off gross smell and taste, that is what froth is. And I think sometimes, honestly, I'm sure you know this is true, we can be a bit fraught. We we can be a little bit off. Sometimes there can be something wrong in us and it could take us months, like that milk in the fridge, it can take us months to realize that something is off inside of us, that there's something fraught inside of our hearts, but it's there. Paul Miller says this, a bad hair day is just that, a bad hair day. Everyone sees it, including you. I know during lockdown, I've had my fair share of bad hair days and I'm grateful to be able to get my hair cut again. But um, actually, I'm feeling my hair a little bit today. But he says, bad breath is different. Others smell it, but you can't. And then he says, self-righteousness, thinking that you are better than someone else is like bad breath. Others can smell it, but you can't. When we are self-righteous, we are fraught. know, we might think we're great, we're doing fine, everything's okay. But really, we've got that sulfuric acid cat urine smell about us that everyone else can smell except for us. Everyone else knows that something's off in us, but we don't. And that seems to be the number one criticism by so many people against Christians in the church. Those outside the church point at us and say, you Christians, you're so self-righteous, hypocritical, and judgmental. I'm sure you've seen that in TV shows and in movies. The Christians generally, you know, they're going to be the jerks. They're going to be the self-righteous person in the movie. And maybe for us today, How do we know if we are one of those stereotypes how do we know if we're self-righteous and what do we do about it and i guess in another sense why is that relevant for us today and in this series so if you've got a bible with you you can turn to luke 18 verse 9 that's where we'll be today and this is what jesus has to say about self-righteousness and us he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and looked down on everyone else two men went up to the temple to pray one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee was standing and praying like this about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other people, greedy, unrighteous, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but kept striking his chest and saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this one, the tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than the other, because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. I think for you and I, if we've been in the church for a while, we've heard this before, we kind of hoo-ha this, but this parable would have shocked Jesus's listeners. Now, we've spoken about Pharisees and tax collectors before, but as a brief reminder, the Pharisees were the good, moral, upstanding, upright guys in society. You know they recycled, they paid all their bills on time, they gave money to charities, they were kind to their wives and kids, they were at church on, at Sunday every week. The Pharisees were religious leaders of their day, and they knew the scriptures incredibly well. This guy would probably have memorized most of, if not all, of the Old Testament. And on top of that, they were committed to living a very moral lifestyle so that they actually did even more than the scriptures said to make sure that they stayed as far away from sin as possible. On the other hand, the tax collector is a bad guy. You know, the tax collectors were also Jews, but they had rejected God and they had rejected their people and they'd sold out to the Roman government to get rich. You know, they'd lined their own pockets by serving themselves and hurting their own people. They were kind of like corrupt tenderpreneurs in our time who were basically doing whatever they could to corruptly make money and get rich even though it hurt their own people so we have this contrast pharisees were the most pious moral upright people in their day while the tax collectors were the most despicable but jesus flips things on its head and he makes the tax collector the hero of the parable and the pharisee the villain and we see the context for this in verse 9. It says, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. You see, they didn't trust in God and they looked down on everyone else. The people they didn't think were as good as them. They were very judgmental and condescending. Now, this is a parable that challenges self-righteousness wherever it's found. And it shows us that God isn't just displeased with external sin, but he's also displeased with internal sin inside of our hearts. Now, I don't know your upbringing, but I know in the church where I grew up, like this is not what was taught. I was really told that the bad three were to have sex before marriage, to get drunk or to do drugs. Those were the bad external sins, but not too much was said about sin inside the heart. But here we see Jesus is talking about internal sin, pride and arrogance and self-righteousness inside of us, which makes us off-putting and fraught to those around us. And Jesus gives us character number one. The Pharisee was standing and praying like this about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, greedy, unrighteous, adulterous, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. Now, listen, there's a lot going on in those two verses, but this prayer starts out the right way. It starts out as a thanksgiving to God, you know. Thank you, God, for this. But it quickly gets perverted because although he starts with God and he begins to thank, he really thanks God for him being as awesome as he is. He basically says, God, I thank you that I am so amazing. Or another way to say it would be, God, I know right, you're welcome. And after mentioning God at the start of this prayer, it's very obvious that he becomes the subject and the focus for the rest of his prayer. He doesn't say anything to God or thank God or honor God. He doesn't ask God for anything. Really, he just talks about how amazing he is and how he's done it all himself. And basically, he's letting God and everyone know how self-sufficient he is. Now, although it doesn't say it here, the Pharisee is praying out loud. You know, that would have been the custom of Jews praying in the temple at this time. And most commentators think a whole bunch of people would have overheard what he said. So here we've got this Pharisee prayer bragging about his self-discipline and godliness and achievements. And he starts by bragging about all the bad things that he doesn't do. You know, he says, I'm not greedy. I don't sin with money. I'm not an adulterer. I don't sin sexually. And I'm not unrighteous. Just generally, I'm a good guy. And then he points to the tax collector. And I feel like this is such a cringeworthy moment in all of scripture. He points at this other guy and says, like him. He throws the tax collector under the bus and he judges the tax collector who's there praying on his own in front of everyone. And it's amazing how Jesus is showing the irony of this, that actually the Pharisee is the one who's not in a good place, whereas the tax collector is making right with God. After bragging in this way, this cringe moment, he prayer brags about all the things that he does do. Basically, he says that he fasts and prays and gives more than most people do. And he's kind of saying to everyone, look at me, I'm super spiritual and I'm super generous. You see, the Jewish law at that time called for people to fast one day a year on the day of atonement. But this guy's fasting twice a week, probably on Mondays and Thursdays, which means he's going way above and beyond what the law required of him. On top of that, there were laws about tithing and that they should be tithing from certain crops. You can read about that in Deuteronomy 14. But it was a practice of the Pharisees to tithe off of everything they had, even their garden herbs. So he was giving more than most people. Now, don't sweat it. This is not a message about tithing more and more and more. But this guy was super giving. He was super generous towards God. And he felt really special about that. And what we see here is that self-righteous people really care about appearances. They care about what others think about them and how they appear to others. And This man even says, he says, God, I thank you that I'm not like others. I thank you that I'm special. I thank you that I'm better. He's finding his identity in his morality and what he's done. He's finding his identity in the fact that he is better than others. And this supposed superiority that he feels based on what he's done, these religious deeds, gives him the audacity to look down on others and be critical and proud and judgmental and arrogant towards them. Now, this Pharisee, according to the scriptures, is clearly not self-aware. He doesn't know his own heart. You know, he, he does know that maybe he's doing all the right things externally. He's ticking all of the boxes of what he should do. But internally, there is so much that he's missing. There are so many boxes he doesn't tick. There is a lot of sin inside of him and he is actually far from God in his heart. And Jesus speaks about this so often. Jesus, one of his key focuses was our hearts. In Matthew 7, the Sermon on the Mount, He says, why do you see the speck, the little bit of dust that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log, the plank, the branch that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye where there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. I don't know about you, But how often do most of us overlook the logs of sin in our own lives and sometimes critically judge the specks of sin inside of other people's lives? It's so easy for us to judge others because they sin differently to us. But then we overlook our own sin because we're more comfortable with it or familiar with it. And we kind of just cast a blind eye to ourselves. Jesus wants us to see in these passages that our sin affects our sight. Our sin affects our sight. You see, our self-righteousness and sin distorts the way that we see ourselves and the way we see others, the way we see the world and the way we see God. You see, we see in this paragraph that when we are self-righteous, we are not self-aware. We see here that when we are self-righteous, we don't realize that we're not in a good place with God. And we see here that when we're self-righteous, it affects our relationship with others. This man has become harsh and hypercritical of others. And he might not realize it, but he is fraught and everyone else can kind of smell what is going on in his heart. Hebrews 3 carries on this idea. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today. Let me just pause there for a second. Encourage one another daily as long as it is called today. I think that is a word to us during this season. And like I said at the beginning, I want to encourage you to regularly think of who can I message, who can I encourage, who can I call, who can I serve in some way during this time because probably all of us need encouragement and more encouragement than normal. So encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. What the writer of Hebrews says to us here is that sin deceives us sin lies to us almost sin puts a lens over our eyes through which we see the world differently to the way that it really is when we come under the influence of sin it changes the way we see things and the way we act sin blinds us or it distorts reality for us and sin changes the way we see what's going on in our own lives and our own hearts when we are in sin we are not in a good place maybe we can look at this idea from just a slightly different angle The Pharisee is convinced that he is right about himself and the tax collector. He believes that he knows how right his own heart is and how wrong the tax collector's heart is. And he even publicly prays and belittles this man. And you know what? He's completely off. I mean, that's the whole idea of this parable. This man is completely off in his judgment of what is right and wrong. And when God looks at this situation, when he looks at the Pharisee and the tax collector, He sees them in a completely different light and he sees their situation, their hearts and prayers very differently from how the Pharisee perceives it. I think this should be such a warning to us. This is why we need one another so badly. We need help to see properly. We need help to know if there's anything fraught inside of us. We need help to smell and detect that stuff. Now humbly asking someone else, how am I doing? Can you see anything in my life? What do you think of this decision I'm making is such an important thing to help us to see if there is a speck or a log in our own eye or if there's anything fraught or self-righteous inside of us. And if you're sitting there today as you hear this message and think, I wonder if there is anything self-righteous in me. I wonder if I'm more like that self-righteous Pharisee or the scrappy tax collector. Well, try this little test and fill in the blanks uh, of the Pharisee's prayer. This is a simple way to get in touch with your inner Pharisee. God, I thank you that I am not like blank. You know, a group of people or an individual that comes to mind because I don't blank. Fill in something there that is bad or sinful about what they do. Instead, I blank. Something that you do that those other people don't do. That's exactly what the Pharisee has just prayed. And if you realize this morning that to some degree in your thoughts or your prayers or your heart, that is going on, that is your inner dialogue, then yes, You are self-righteous today. And that means today would be a good time for you to repent. Something is fraught inside of you. That smell is going around and everyone can see it. You are self-righteous. Now, when I was 18, I was pretty self-righteous for a couple of years. And I'm saying that in a way that kind of makes me look good. If I say that in a bad way, I am a recovering Pharisee. I'm recovering from self-righteousness. It's still inside of me, but I think I'm growing and it's getting smaller and smaller in me. But I think this started innocently you know at 18 i started to follow jesus with passion i was crazy about him and i wanted to serve him with my whole heart i was excited about what he was doing and i wanted to learn more i was hungry i wanted to pray more all of that stuff but what started to happen as i got more involved in church as i started to learn a little bit more as i spent more time doing spiritual things that i started to look down on those people around me who weren't doing the things that i was doing now, back in the day, I used to read my Bible a lot. I used to spend a lot of time praying. And I actually made a pact with a couple of friends that we were going to stop watching TV. I didn't watch TV for six months. And I, that was a sacrifice for me. I, I love series. I love movies. I studied cultural studies at Varsity. So I literally had a course on film studies and TV studies. But I cut those things out because I wanted to spend more time with God. And that can be a really good thing. You know, maybe even today, the Spirit of God is saying to you, I want you to cut something out of your life or cut part of something out of your life to spend more time with me, to learn more about me, to serve me, then do that. But in my case, it was a self-righteous decision. And I know that because of the way it affected my family around me at that time. See, my family knew all about it. They knew that I wasn't watching TV and that I disproved of them doing it and wasting time where they could be doing something more useful or helpful. You know, and I would sometimes sit in a chair in the room with them as they were watching TV to spend quality family time with them. But I would sit in a chair where I couldn't see the TV so that they knew that I wasn't watching. I was sitting there silently judging them. And in a sense, I was praying or thinking internally, God, I thank you that I'm not like my family and friends because I don't spend hours in front of the TV wasting my life. Instead, I pray and read my Bible a lot. I also had a sticker at that time that said, come to Jesus or go to hell on the door of my bedroom for everyone to see. But that's another embarrassing self-righteous story for another morning. I know for a fact that at that time, my family felt judged by me. They didn't feel very loved by me. And they were also pretty worried about me because of how much I had changed. You know, they could smell the fraught self-righteousness inside of my heart. They were experiencing it every day as they were around me. And I know for myself and for those of us who could be in that same space today, when we think this way, firstly, we're finding our righteousness or our salvation in what we do and what we don't do, not in Jesus and what he's done for us. We're actually believing a false gospel that our justification, our rightness before God is based on our deeds. You know, the the good things that we do do, the bad things we don't do, rather than the life Jesus has lived for us and the death he died on the cross for us. And we're also looking down on others that God loves, people God has made in his image, people that Jesus died on the cross for, people that are of equal worth and dignity to us. And I know for myself, when I was in that category and for you, if you're in that category this morning, that Jesus's parable in Luke 18 is challenging that in our hearts this morning. Now, the reason I wanted to speak about this today as kind of a, an afterward epilogue appendix to our Durban as it is in heaven series, is that because even as we've gone through these series and spoken about all of these things, we can become self-righteous about them. You know, we've spent weeks, months speaking about the gospel renewal and the kingdom of God coming in Durban as it is in heaven. We we've, we've felt the invitation of God to join him in his renewing work in our world. And we've spoken about doing these things to do justice, remember the poor, live lives of mercy and compassion, be like the good Samaritan, to fast and pray for renewal in our city. And what can easily start as worship to God and joining him in his purpose over time can become our righteousness and we can begin to look down on others and pray the prayers that the Pharisee prayed and start to think these self-righteous things in our hearts like this. God, I thank you that I'm not like so-and-so because I remember the poor. I do justice. You know, I act with mercy and compassion. I seek first the kingdom. When the church fasted this last week, I fasted for three days, not just two, and I prayed more than anyone that I know. I give money to all these organizations and to some people too. And you know what? I volunteer a lot of my time to serve our city. God, you're welcome. And what started out in our lives as an act of worship and a response to Jesus's grace towards us has become our self-justification. And our eyes are off of Jesus and they're onto ourselves and what we do. Like that prayer, God, I thank you that I am so awesome. I don't know if that's you this morning I don't know if anyone listening to this is going that's me and I need to repent today but I also want to say this self-righteousness is not just something that we find in the church or in religious people in fact our culture is becoming more and more self-righteous Tim Keller has this quote to say which I think is so helpful many have pointed out that today our society is as moralistic and judgmental as it ever has been We live in a call-out culture in which people are categorized reductionistically to good or evil and then are publicly shamed until they lose jobs and communities. People are charged for what used to be called sins and are banished in ways that look remarkably like religious ceremonial purification rites. Human beings cannot abandon their moral reflexes, a belief in moral absolutes, and sin and judgment, and in the imposition of guilt and shame. However today we have abandoned the old underlying beliefs in God heaven and hell and therefore have lost the older resources for repentance showing grace and granting forgiveness. If you think about this for a second I think call out culture and a lot of what gets posted on social media these days sounds a lot like the group of people that Jesus was addressing with this parable. You know those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and who looked down on everyone else. This Pharisee has a standard by which he judges himself and others and if he doesn't do these things and he does do these other things he thinks he's golden and i think it's so common for us to do exactly the same things you know if i don't do those bad things and i do do these good things then i feel good then i'm righteous then i'm saved then i'm right with god the problem in all of this is that the pharisee is comparing himself to others and not to jesus Now, the reality is we can all go and find someone who's more of a mess than us, who's less righteous than us, who doesn't do as many good things as us. And then we can think to ourselves, well, I'm not so bad after all. You know, this is one of the ways that people deal with shame and guilt and sin in their own lives. But in Romans 3 verse 23, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You see, if we compare ourselves to others, we can always find someone that we're better than. But when we compare ourselves to God, what we realize is that our standards of righteousness are far lower than God's glory and holiness and righteousness and perfection. See, this Pharisee had no idea how impure his heart is, especially when compared to God and his holy standard. And I want to ask you this question today. Where do you find your sense of righteousness or justification? Is it in Jesus or is it in something that you do? And then what happens when you fail to live up to your own standards and you don't do the things that you believe that you should do or you do do the things you believe you shouldn't? Jesus ends this parable by comparing the Pharisees' prayer to the prayer of someone else. to the sinful man, the bad man, the outcast. But the tax collector standing far off would not even raise his eyes to heaven but kept striking his chest and saying, God have mercy on me, a sinner. The tax collector enters the story under great conviction of his sin. You know, lifting your eyes to heaven when you prayed was normal in the temple at that time, but because of his sense of guilt and shame over his sin, he can't lift his eyes and he just beats his chest, which was a sign of sorrow over his sin. The tax collector is unlike the Pharisee in a number of ways, but probably the most significant is that he is self-aware. He knows that he is a sinner and he knows that he has need from God. See, this man realizes that he deserves judgment or punishment for the things that he has done and that he doesn't deserve God's forgiveness or grace. I don't know if you've defined these before, but grace is being given something we don't deserve, like forgiveness. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. You know, when we deserve punishment, when we deserve judgment for something, mercy is when we don't receive that. And this man has heard that God is a God of mercy. So he comes to God to find mercy. Now, notice in the story that we don't find out about his sin. We don't know the details. We don't know what he did. We don't know how good or bad his sin was, how extreme it was, how, how much we'd be offended by what he's done. And I think that forces us to see ourselves in this story and to see the fact that this truth is for us. You know, his sin is our sin and his situation is our situation. And I know that because during lockdown, I've had a a number of conversations with people in Harbour City who have said to me, Grant, I I did something I shouldn't do. I, I sinned in this way and like I just feel too far from God and I feel like I can't come back to him. But this passage is showing us that no matter what it is, it's almost like there's a blank check here. Now, we don't know how bad his sin is, which means no matter what you have done, you can come to God to find mercy in your time of need. No matter what you've done, you can come back home because God is not pointing a finger at you. He's not wagging his finger at you to scold you. God is standing with open arms like a good, good father, wanting to embrace you and to welcome you home, even this morning. The tax collector's prayer is also very simple. He says, God have mercy on me, a sinner. I love about this tax collector that he doesn't put his faith before God in his comparison with other people. You know he could say God have mercy on me a sinner but just remember I'm not as bad as that guy that's exactly what the Pharisee did you know I'm not like that guy the tax collector he doesn't do that he doesn't compare himself he also doesn't grovel or beg or bargain with God you know we can do that like God I know my sin is so bad but I'll do everything you want I'll be at church every Sunday I'll pray this much I'll give this much I'll do this much just forgive me and he doesn't beg or, or bargain with God and he doesn't put his faith in his prayer ability We read his prayer here. It's a simple seven-word short prayer. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. What he does is he puts his faith in God, in the mercy of God. He knows he doesn't deserve forgiveness. He knows that what he has done deserves punishment. But he also knows that God is a God of grace and mercy. Now, I want to end in verse 14. In verse 14, we get God's viewpoint on all of this. It says, I tell you, this one, the tax collector went down to his house justified right before God rather than the other, the Pharisee, because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But the one who humbles himself will be exalted. You see, the tax collector was justified by God. He went home right by God, having received mercy and being forgiven. But the Pharisee was not. He went home self-justified. In his own eyes, he thought he was fine. He felt good about himself. But he was still in his sin. He was still in self-deception and he was still separated from God. He was still self-righteous. He was still fraught. That, that stench of sin and self-righteousness was still all about him. And this morning, what I want to do is I want to invite you to come before God as we end. If you need to this morning to repent of self-righteousness, which probably all of us could do or should do, and to ask for mercy for those of us who feel like actually we've sinned and we're far from God, And to leave justified before god that that is a promise which is here to leave right with god this morning that we could be filled by his love and receive a sense of his approval and affection towards us his acceptance towards us and that we could go into this week humbly rather than smelling of the stench of self-righteousness as we go to see the people that are around us now as this response song plays and this is a beautiful song I want to encourage you to spend a few minutes maybe discussing this with the people that you're with or just spending time with the Spirit just praying and either saying God would you deal with my self-righteousness or God please would you meet me with your mercy and I trust that as you do that you would be filled with a sense of the love and pleasure of God and that you would leave justified and filled with joy.